Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, she was found, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to expose her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But when he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Fear not, Joseph, son of David, to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived within her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, that the virgin shall be with child and will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel had commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. How does Joseph say yes to God like this? How does Joseph say yes to God? I mean, he doesn't begin with a yes, does he? The story begins with a resounding no. Verse 19, when he finds out that the girl he's betrothed to is pregnant by the Holy Spirit he resolves to divorce her quietly. And yet by verse 24, after the angelic vision, it says that Joseph woke from his sleep and he did as the angel had commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but did not know her until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. See, Joseph's story is a story to show us how God brings a person to a yes. How does a person come to say yes to God? And the answer is always the same. It's because that person hears the gospel. Because that person hears the good news. And it's the angel who comes to him in this message, in in his dream, and gives him the gospel. See, we all have people in our lives who we love to see come to faith. And we've all got moments in our lives when we ourselves need to be brought back to faith. We need to understand how does a person say yes to God. And the gospel that the angel brings to Joseph is this. Here's the gospel of what Joseph is told in this dream. He's told that God is moving in. God is making a move into your life. God is taking up residence. But not only is God moving in, But the gospel is that God is moving everything around. When he comes in, nothing's going to stay the same. Everything's going to change. But not only is God moving in, and not only is God moving everything, but thanks be to God, God is moving first. God moves first. See, it's really a moving story, isn't it? We've gone through a moving story the last two and a half years, almost three years, coming from Canada to Texas. I got to say that move feels more and more complete 
Because what should today feel to this Canadian body like a crisp, nice, lovely fall day, I am freezing cold. (laughs) The move is becoming complete. But see, this is a moving story about God moving in. See, the gospel is, the good news is that God is moving in, Joseph. God is moving into your life. Verse 22 and 23, this prophecy is fulfilled. This prophecy we read just now from Isaiah chapter 7. The virgin shall give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God moving into our lives. This is where the gospel begins. God is moving into your life and is moving into mine. See, every other religion or ideology we're faced with in this world is all about some kind of journey we go on to climb up the mountain towards God. We're going to climb the mountain towards some kind of divinity or we're going to climb the mountain to some sort of superior morality. We're going to work hard to the point that we can be the better people we want to be. We are going to climb the mountain. And yet in Christianity alone do we hear that God comes down to us and meets us in the mud. God meets us where he needs to meet us because we cannot climb out of this on our own. This time of year, we're always talking about Christmas movies, aren't we? What movies you watch over Christmas. May I commend for some of you, perhaps a new Christmas movie? You haven't maybe thought of it as a Christmas movie. E.T., The Extraterrestrial, right? The 1980s Spielberg film. Now, the reason is I, for years, was, was fascinated by E.T. And I thought, you know, maybe there's something kind of hidden in the meaning, right? Christians have talked about this ever since the movie came out. You know, this idea that, you know, the alien comes down to earth and he lives among us and teaches these children how to love. And, you know, there's that glowing finger that kind of looks like Michelangelo's creation of David on the Sistine Chapel, right? God reaching down to humanity. Not to mention that, you know, E.T., dies and rises and before he ascends back into the heavens he tells Elliot I'll be right here right and so people thought maybe maybe this is kind of a Christian allegory but we all knew we were kind of pushing it until I read an article in the Washington Post an article in the Washington Post by a guy named Aaron Latham in 1998 he was at a dinner party with Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford's wife at the time Melissa Matheson, who was the screenwriter for E.T. And so Aaron said, you know, I got you both here. Let me just lay out this theory. And he mentioned those same things I mentioned about the E.T. film. And then Aaron said this. This is in the Washington Post. Aaron said, of course, Melissa, the screenwriter, you did not possibly have any of this in mind when you wrote the movie script. And she said, of course I did. There were lots of other parallels She said, when E.T. gets sick and is lying in that culvert, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. E.T. has the power to heal wounds. E.T. has disciples. And E.T. has a sacred heart that glows red. During filming, I would often tell Steven Spielberg, who was 20 at the time, you can't change that in the script. And he'd say, why not? And she said, because that's how it's written in the New Testament. And Steven Spielberg would get mad at me 
and would say, don't talk to me about the New Testament, I'm Jewish. But when the Jewish producer and president of MCA, Sid Sheinberg, saw the first viewing of E.T. down in Houston, the first screening of the film, he described it to the screenwriter, Melissa Matheson, as a religious experience. He said, it truly is unlike anything I've ever seen. It must be like the way people feel when they see God. Now, why do we have that kind of reaction to movies? Now, you might not like E.T., but why do we have the reactions to these kind of movies, these allegories that point so clearly to the story of God coming among us? It's because this is what we desire most within our hearts. Oh, that God, you would rend the heavens and come down. That you would come into our lives. That you would move in as 1 John, sorry, John 1, 14. In the message, Eugene Peterson, who translated the message, that modern paraphrase, was one of my professors at Regent College. He died this year. And Eugene Peterson translated John 1.14 this way. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God moved into our neighborhood. He moves into our lives. He moves into our homes. He moves into our pain. He moves into our sorrow. And we long for this more than anything else because this is where it all began. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, we hear, even in that moment of the fall, we hear this description of Adam and Eve, that they could hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That our origin story is one where we were so close to God, we could hear his footsteps and we have been estranged from him ever since. And we long that he would come down and move in. And the gospel is that he is. He is moving into your life and he's moving into mine. Emmanuel, God with us. But not only is the gospel that God is moving in, but the good news is that God is gonna move in and move everything around. He's moving everything around when he moves in, right? It's not gonna stay the same. See, verse 21, Joseph is told, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, Yeshua, means God saves. He will save us from our sins. And in verse 24, verse 25, again, Joseph at the end says his yes to God. And it says, and he called his name Jesus. It seems that the name is a big deal in this story. That the name matters. And here's why it matters. Because Joseph doesn't get to name him. Joseph and Mary don't get to name the boy. The baby comes with a name already. You see, it was always the right of a Jewish father to name the child. It was a big deal. I mean, you go back to uh, Luke chapter one and there's that moment with Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? And, and the angel tells Zechariah, just like he tells Joseph, that this child shall be called John. Now, Zechariah doesn't believe the angel. He's struck mute until the baby's born. The baby's born. Elizabeth, the mother, says his name shall be John. And what, what do all the women around? They start arguing with her. This woman has just given birth. And they say, no, 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 Elizabeth. Great job birthing the baby, but first century, the father gets to name the child. You don't get to call him John. You don't have any relatives named John. And they turn to Zechariah, who's mute, and he gets some kind of first century chalkboard and says, his name is John. And his mouth is opened. 
See, the point is that these women understand that it's a father's role and right to name the child, but Joseph is told right here at the beginning, no, no, you don't name this kid. This child comes with a name already. Because to name a child in the Bible means two things. When you get a name in scripture, it means two things. First of all, your name tells you whose you are, right? Who has named you? Who has given you your name? And your name tells you who you're to be, right? So the, the whose you are aspect is that sense of authority that, that the, the, the superior, the parent gets to say, I am your parent. I am the authority over you. I will tell you who you are. I will name you. But of course, Joseph can't name him because Joseph will not really ultimately have authority over this baby. This is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The son of God is moving into his house. Joseph, I'm sorry, you don't have the authority to name this child. But also, Joseph, you can't tell this child who he's going to be. Because Joseph, if you're honest, you don't really fully understand the implications of who this child is going to be. You can't name him. Uh, The one question we have been asked many times since we moved into Deerfield is did we know what we were getting into at Christmas? And and the answer is kind of like yes and no. Yes, we were warned, but no, we had no idea. It wasn't until neighbors started showing up with their used boxes of Christmas lights and placing them on our porch in November with the indication of you better get moving (laughs) that we realized just what we had gotten ourselves into. See, Joseph's the same way. Joseph understands in one sense, this is, you know, God's son coming into my life, but he doesn't fully understand the implications. Joseph doesn't yet know about the census and the manger and the shepherds and the magi and Herod and the flight to Egypt and the multiple dreams that will still yet come. He doesn't know all that's coming in this child's life. And so he cannot name him. God alone, Jesus' true father, can name him. And his name is Jesus. You see, Joseph didn't fully understand what he was getting into. And we don't understand fully what we're getting into when Jesus moves into our life either. We think we do, but there's so much we don't understand. And because that's what his name means. Jesus, God saves, will save them from their sins. It means he's going to come in and start doing stuff in our lives that we didn't really invite him to do. He's got renovation work to do here, and he's not going to quit until he's finished. Jesus comes in and starts moving everything around. We don't get to name him. He comes with a name when he comes in our lives. Wouldn't it be nice if we could? Oh, Jesus, I just want you to come in and give me a little more morality or give me, you know, a little bit of self-help, a little bit of affirmation when I need it, but I'm going to keep you where I need you. No, Jesus comes in and says, you don't name me. I'm moving into your life and I'm going to move everything, absolutely everything. I think C.S. Lewis puts it the best when he describes it in Mere Christianity this way. He says, imagine yourself living in a house. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking around the house in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? 
The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing in a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. The gospel is that God is moving in but the gospel is that God is moving everything when he moves in. He's come to save us from our sins. He's come to do that work deep within us to transform us and change us. And we desperately need it. But thanks be to God, the gospel is not just that God is moving in and that God is moving everything. Because at this point, we may begin to think, well, what would we possibly do to earn this? I mean, we must have been the most special people on the planet for God to decide to come and do this in our lives. Like, we must be just the best of the best, but that's not the gospel at all. You see, Joseph is told, and we're told, that the good news is that God is moving first. God is moving first. He moves on his own initiative. It's not sort of, you know, God says, I'll meet you halfway. That's not the gospel at all. God comes to us when we're not even inviting him in. God comes into our lives when we don't deserve him or ask for him, have done nothing to earn him. See, verse 18 has this powerful word about the virgin birth. It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. See, the point of the virgin birth the reason that we confess it in our creeds is to make sure we realize that Joseph didn't contribute anything to this birth. Joseph didn't provide some part of this. Joseph provided nothing. The baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Matthew hammers this point home. Verse 20, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 25, when he agrees, it says he knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. The point that Matthew's hitting again and again is this virgin birth is so important. Why? Well, let me just say this. It's, it's important. The virgin birth is important not because it's meant to be a big miracle to wow us. Wow, what a birth story, right? It's not just that. It is pretty amazing, but that's not the point. The virgin birth's purpose is to remind us and convince us and convict us to the core that God is the sole initiator and the sole actor in our salvation, the virgin birth is affirmed and confessed by the church to say, when God comes into your life, you do not contribute, you simply receive. As Dale Bruner writes these words, he says, when Jesus Christ comes into anyone in history, even in this advent coming to Mary and Joseph, it is always the work of his spirits not of human preparation or enterprise. And then he says this, every conversion is a virgin birth. Every conversion is a virgin birth. God takes the initiative. God moves first by the Holy Spirit. As 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that no one can say Jesus is Lord 
No one can make that affirmation of faith except by the Holy Spirit. That it's not about the Holy Spirit simply coming after we have done the big thing of saying yes. No, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives ahead of time to take these stone hearts, turn them into flesh, and make us able to say yes. The Holy Spirit brings about our conversion. Every conversion is a virgin birth. And the implications of this are enormous when we think about salvation when we think about our role in salvation, when we think about our role in evangelism, one of the ways that my preaching has been critiqued over the years, I'm sure there's lots of good things to critique about my preaching, but the one thing I always push back against is I've been told in every parish I've served by at least a few people, they'll say, you know, Father, um, the only thing we're missing is you don't really apply the word. Like you, you, you don't give us those three things to go and do this week when you're done preaching, right? You, you open up the word, but then you, I want you to give me one, two, three. Where's my checklist? What am I supposed to do now? And I say, that's not my job. My job as a preacher is to open the word of God faithfully and then let the Holy Spirit drill into your head and your heart how he wants it applied into your life. How could I possibly know what God wants to do in your life with his word? There was a moment when I saw this come to fruition when I preached the worst sermon in history. It happened, it was me. You probably read about it. It was the worst sermon in history. I mean, let me be clear, there was nothing heretical in it, right? It was, it was, it was faithful to God's word, but the illustrations made no sense. The structure was wrong. I was more confused by the text at the end of the sermon than when I began. It was awful. And I walked to the back of the church and I was greeting people as they were leaving and this woman, walked up to me and she said, I'm ready to die. And I said, I'm ready to die too. It was awful. <laughs> but then she looked at me and I could see the tears in her eyes. And she said, no, seriously, I'm ready to die now. She said, I am dying. I'm terminal. And until today, until I heard God's words spoken over me in that sermon, I was not ready to meet my maker, but I am ready now. And it reminded me so poignantly in that moment, it is not about you and me bringing the gospel to bear in people's lives. It is about us opening God's word, speaking, heralding God's gospel over the world and watching the Holy Spirit take the worst sermon in the world and bring about salvation because he is the primary mover. He is the first one to move. He is the actor Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, dress up, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, sorry. Presbyterian minister, ordained. People don't realize that he used that medium to try and teach. And he once said of his work, he said, between my lips and your ears is the land of the Holy Spirit. This is how God brings a person to say yes. How does this come about? How does a person say yes to God? Because we hear the gospel. Joseph heard the gospel. You and I hear the gospel. That God is moving in 
God is coming into our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. He's moving in, God with us. But also God is moving everything. When he comes in, he's not going to just settle for what he finds. He's going to gloriously transform you. One degree of glory to the next. But not only is God moving in and not only is the gospel that God is moving everything, but the good news is that we didn't earn it and we never can, that God moves first. God moves into our lives when we're not asking for it, when we don't deserve it. And let me be clear, he keeps moving in. This is not a one-time moment of yes in our lives. We have to say yes to him each and every day. Joseph says yes. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Our job is to simply receive. Our job is to simply say yes to what God is doing. How God is moving into our lives. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given so God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in. This is how we say yes to God. Because God is moving in. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.